Well, every blessing to you all. Welcome back to my open air pulpits. It's been a very interesting month for us. Uh, that's October, of course. We're now in November and the months continue to fly by, almost heading towards Christmas and next year, my 17th anniversary as a saved sinner is about to uh, come around. So praise the Lord indeed. But October was a very interesting month for us, a very blessed month. We were able to go back to the south of England, do some street work, speak to some very interesting and colourful characters, which I may speak about this morning if time allows. And as always, if you want to read about our outreaches and see some of the photographs, just check out our newsletter. Visit the website, click on monthly newsletter, <coughs> excuse me, and just go to October 2018 and you can read about some of the colourful characters that we spoke about last month. But for today, if I may, and it's a very typical bitterly cold November morning, I want to speak about death. And I want to call this message, A Day Without Dying. A Day Without Dying. Go to Lamentations, please. Lamentations, written by Jeremiah, lamenting at the fall of Jerusalem, the eternal city of God. And for those of us which are saved, for those of us which live in the UK, especially, we lament almost every day of the week at the state of our country. But here Jeremiah, like every verse in the Old Testament and every verse in the New Testament, is going to speak about something which has a double application. Lamentations chapter 3, look at verse 39 if you will. Wherefore doth a living man complain? A man for the punishments of his sins. Why do you complain when you're being punished for your sins? Now in the context, this is dealing with the here and now, and you were told from Romans chapter 13 to obey the powers that be. You were told to submit yourselves to kings and queens. And for today we would say that means prime ministers and presidents. Not always easy, I know. You were told to pray for such people. You were told to lead a quiet life. And yet, if you go back to the 16th century and read about somebody like Sir Francis Walsingham, a fascinating character. And on one occasion, Walsingham got wind how one of his relatives, a secret papist, had been plotting, planning to overthrow his queen, being Elizabeth I, of course. And if there's one person that you didn't want to cross, because your life would depend upon it, of course, it would be Walsingham at the peak of his time at the top of government he was probably the most feared spy in the whole of the western world wherefore why doth does a living man or woman complain for the punishments of his or her sins now in the context it's dealing with the here and now like if you break the law you'd be arrested but before court so on and so forth <coughs> also it has reference to the great white throne judgment but on one occasion one of Walsingham's relatives fell foul of Sir Francis, and when word got back to Francis Walsingham how one of his relatives had been plotting and planning to murder Elizabeth I and overthrow her and replace her with a puppet stooge leader, Walsingham had him arrested, interrogated, and during one conversation, uh, Walsingham said to his relative, I must have failed you. I can't believe that you'd be so stupid to do this. I have eyes everywhere, and of course he did. I have ears everywhere, and of course he did. And that goes back to the, uh, the term, eyes to see. Like in the 
uh, context of the, of the spy world, and also from the New Testament, eyes to see in a spiritual sense, ears to hear in a spiritual sense. But Walsingham <coughs> had eyes literally everywhere, and ears almost everywhere. He, you know, he knew everything that was going on. And this dialogue between Walsingham and his relative went along the lines of this, well, you've been very foolish, and we have discovered that you are not only a secret papist, which incidentally wasn't illegal during Henry VIII, Elizabeth, Elizabeth I, or James Stuart, or other leaders, what was illegal was to be a Catholic in government and also to bear arms. And I'll discuss that more a little later. And Walsingham said to his relative, well, what you've done is very foolish. I could execute you if I wanted to because you are guilty of treason. And his relative said, well, I'm very happy to die for Holy Mother Church. I want to die a martyr's death, like the Islamists. They want to die a martyr's death for Allah. And Walsingham said, no, that's too easy for you. You won't die. I'm going to spare you. And the relative looked very shocked because he wanted to die a martyr's death because, as you know, Roman Catholics have no guarantee of salvation. None whatsoever, like the Muslims. For the Muslims, they have to die a jihad in order to go to paradise. And around the 16th and 17th century, popes in Rome were issuing edicts, allowing Catholics not only uh, their blessing to murder British leaders, but if they were successful in overthrowing people like James Stuart or Elizabeth I or Henry VIII, they'd be guaranteed entrance into heaven. Times don't change, do they? And old Walsingham, this shrewd old operator, like I say, at the height of his career, the most feared spy, in the whole of the West, said, I'm going to send you to France. You're going to go into exile, and after a short period of time, you'll be very quickly forgotten. And that was Walsingham's way of dealing with treachery. But his relative, who fell foul of Francis Walsingham, was complaining. Why am I here? Who do you think you are? Go back to Charles I, when he was arrested, but before a group of judges in Parliament and during Charles I's arrest and imprisonment and subsequent appearance before a court in uh, London, of course, he would say the same thing. Why am I here? Who do you people think you are? You have no authority to hold me. Complaining, you see. And Charles I, like the relative of Walsingham, was really guilty of treachery. Charles I wanted to use foreign troops to march on England. Walsingham's relative wanted to conspire with Catholics inside of England and outside of England to overthrow Elizabeth I. Wherefore doth a living man complain, a man for the punishment of his sins? Great white throne judgment, an unsaved person arrives at such a place. It could be Walsingham's relative, it could be Charles I. And Paul told you from the book of Romans how every mouth is going to be stopped and there'll be people at the great white throne judgment almost arguing with the Lord. Why, why are we here? Why are we here? We were good old Roman Catholics, like Guy Fawkes, for example, and we got together on orders from the Holy Father, quote unquote, to overthrow Elizabeth I, King Henry VIII, James Stuart. And the Lord will say to those people, but I never told you to do that. I told you to pray for leaders in authority. I told you to submit yourself to leaders in authority. And I'm convinced around that time there'll be visions or 
images or material produced at the Great White Throne Judgments of Christians in North Korea and also China living in the 20th and 21st century and the Lord will say to those Catholic terrorists look at these Chinese people look at those North Korean people their lives were much harder than yours you were permitted to be a Catholic in the 16th and 17th century in the UK and of course they were but you couldn't bear arms because you were torn as it were you had an allegiance to Rome and yet those Chinese people, those North Korean people, didn't have the liberties that you had, and yet never once, never once, attempted to rise up and overthrow their governments, because the powers that be, Romans chapter 13, are ordained of God. Wherefore, why doth, does a living man or woman complain, a man for the punishment of his sins? You get what you deserve, you reap what you sow. I remember some years ago, I was told a story of a family, a criminal family in London. Mother and father, three children, two boys and a girl. A very devious family, and the daughter <coughs> of this family met, of all people, a policeman. Started to date him, started to court him, and these two got very close, and this police officer decided to propose to the woman in question but before he did that, he went onto the computer database and typed in her name. And surprise, surprise, it would appear, and it did appear, that the entire family, like mother and father, and two sons especially, were all career criminals. And on one occasion, this police officer, with his fiancée, went to meet the future in-laws. And it must have been a wonderful or an interesting uh, scene to see like a fly on the wall sort of a thing and they all sat down had a cup of tea as it were and apparently the police officer said to the father in question I know all about your family Mr such and such I've already checked you out and some nervous laughter broke out but in spite of all that I want to marry your daughter and the father was shocked because he knew that he would have a future son-in-law who was a police officer incidentally the police officer that did that broke the law you can't check out somebody uh, on the computer database for your own gain. But this was probably some 25 years ago or thereabouts. But to cut a long story short, he married the woman in question. And not long after marrying her, the father-in-law got into trouble. And on one occasion, six police officers kicked down the front door, wrestled this old man to the ground. He was around 70 at the time, incidentally. And he was very proud of himself that it took six police officers to hold him down. And as they were holding him down, he was shouting his mouth off. And he was complaining for the punishment of his sins. Who do you think you are, he said. I'm an old man. You have no right to treat me like this. And the police said to him, well, Mr. Such and Such, you're being arrested on, I think it was, uh, burglary. And receiving stolen uh, items from memory. And he was put before the courts and he was subsequently dealt with. But he's the sort of guy that Jeremiah is speaking about. He's broken the law, he's been arrested, put before the courts, but instead of pleading guilty, he would plead not guilty. And on top of that, he would be arguing with his uh, solicitors, his barristers, those that were defending him, and those that were prosecuting him, 
because in his mind he'd done nothing wrong. He was in denial, of course. Why does a living person complain a man or woman for the punishment of his sins? If you go back to Queen Mary of Scots, she too was a Catholic, came from a very tortured background. Her father was a very promiscuous uh, leader, King uh, James V of Scotland, and by the age of 24 had been married three times. A very sad woman, and yet on one occasion, uh, after being arrested and held at Bolton Castle in uh, Leeds, she would have special guests sent to visit her to witness to her like leading protestants but she wouldn't budge she said i am a catholic and i would die a catholic and she certainly did but as i look at mary queen of scots and i'm more interested in of course her son james stewart i see a very interesting woman she was arrested initially in scotland sent to england walsingham was intercepting her letters again if you crossed walsingham you were pretty much finished and old Walsingham had spies everywhere, literally eyes everywhere, ears everywhere. It was said that at the height of Walsingham's career, every letter, every telegram, every cable that came into the UK was intercepted by Walsingham's spies. And letters were going back and forth from Mary, Queen of Scots, to her Catholic subjects around England to deal with Elizabeth. And again, to cut a long story short, she was eventually arrested, tried for treason, was decapitated, and as her head was removed, it would roll several yards from her body, and according to eyewitnesses, it was talking. The mouth was still moving for 15 minutes. Can you imagine that? 15 minutes. She had a dog that she was very close to, and her dog had been hiding behind her or inside of her dress. She wore all red when she went to be executed. In her mind, she thought she was dying a martyr's death. She wasn't, of course. She too was guilty of treachery, and she too will arrive at the judgment, great white throne judgment, where the Lord Jesus Christ will be sitting to judge all of the unsaved dead. And she too will be asked to explain herself. The idolatry, dealing with Mary worship, and the worship of the Eucharist, and praying to dead people will be a side issue for the time being. The Lord will say to someone like Mary, why did you attempt to overthrow Elizabeth? You were told to pray for her. You were told to intercede for her. And Guy Fawkes will be resurrected to appear at the great white throne judgment. Why did you not pray for your leader, King James I? Catholics during the time of Henry, right up until Cromwell and beyond, were permitted to be Catholic, like at a lay level. Even priests and bishops were allowed to say Mass, even inside and outside of the courts of Henry VIII. What they weren't allowed to do was to bear arms, because it was considered that if they had access to arms, like Guy Fawkes, like the relative of Walsingham and many other people, they would attempt to have a coup. They would attempt to overthrow their monarch. And on top of that, they couldn't be in government because they'd be torn. Where is their loyalty? Is it to London or is it to Rome? Go back to 2014 when we had the Scottish referendum. A lot of talk at the time about Scotland breaking away from London rule. And I watched that very carefully and I thought, well, let's look at it this way. 
let's say the Scots, <coughs> really want to have independence, why not go all of the way? Break free from London and break free from Brussels. Why do you want to switch one master being London for another master being Brussels? Why do you want to get rid of the pound, which is obviously set in London at the Bank of England, and pick up the euro, which is set to the overseas banks in Strasbourg from memory? Why do you want to switch from one master to another master? The Lord Jesus Christ would say how the truth shall set you free. You shall know the truth. You are my disciples if you continue in my word. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And I was scratching my head back in 2014. I thought, why not go all the way? Break free from England if you want. Break free from Brussels if you want. Stand in your own two feet. And of course it dawned on me and I've known this for a long time, of course, that the Scots didn't really want to be free from London and also Brussels. They wanted to be free from London because they hate the English. They are Europhiles, you see. And as far as I'm concerned, that's also a pitch of treachery. And yet the audacity from the 2014 referendum was that the Scots wanted to retain the pound, can you believe, and the monarch, as the head of state, while aligning themselves, coming under the authority of Brussels, a foreign power. Totally bizarre. Why does a person for the here and now complain, and also at the great white throne judgment, for the punishments of his or her sins? So every time I think about these people, every time I think about famous people and also infamous people, I see time after time that every mouth will be stopped, I see also many of these people wanting to serve the God of this world for here and now. Most of these people are post-millennial. As far as they are concerned, it's all about the here and now. But the problem, of course, is when you look at politics, for example, and I don't know if Walsingham was saved. He was a Protestant by birth. I know he was a patriot, but I don't know if he was a saved Protestant. But when I look at politics and politicians and Christians, especially Protestants in politics, I see all sorts of problems, contradictions, compromises. I think of Mike Pence, for example, the American Vice President, a professing born-again Christian. He came from uh, Indiana, was the governor before, uh, before uh, Donald Trump chose him. And of course, you know that every American president has to have a VP, a Vice President, and when they choose their VP, I mean going right back to probably John F. Kennedy, if not before, their VP has to be religious. Now for JFK, he would choose himself LBJ. Um, for uh, George Bush Senior, he would choose himself Dan Quayle. For Bill Clinton, he would choose himself Al Gore. They want the religious vote, you see. And Donald Trump, an unsaved Presbyterian, wanted to pick himself somebody like uh, Mike Pence to get the evangelicals on board, you see. And Mike Pence got the phone call from the Trump team. Would you be Donald's VP? And of course he said yes. He was clapping his hands, the, the second most powerful job in America. But here's the thing. Pence, like I say, is a professing Christian, born-again Christian. And yet some months ago he was uh, photographed swearing in a practicing homosexual to become the future U.S. ambassador to Germany. And I thought, couldn't somebody else have done that? 
I'm sure if Mike Pence had wanted to, he could have said to Donald Trump, I can't swear this gentleman in. Also, this practicing homosexual had his boyfriend with him as he took on or took the oath. Very strange photograph. And at the time, I watched that or saw that photograph and I thought, there's been almost nothing said about this from the evangelical world. Mike Pence has, of course, compromised. He's now, like I said, the, uh, the second most powerful politician, religious politician in America, could have refused, could have delegated the swearing in to his number two, or somebody senior from the administration, but he decided not to, and he would swear in the gentleman in question, a practicing homosexual, and that kind of compromise will be dealt with at the judgment seat of Christ. Of course, you've got two judgments. You have the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat, which is for saved people. And I'm not going to say that Mike Pence isn't saved. He could be saved. I don't know. I haven't met the man, and I don't suppose you have either. But I know one thing, that he says he is saved. He professes to be saved, and yet he is compromised. And people like that, <coughs> and others, perhaps Walsingham, as well to some extent, will find themselves at the judgment seat of Christ and have to give an account of themselves to the Lord. Now, when it comes to our salvation, by the grace of God, we have already been buried with him, baptized into him, and resurrected with him, according to Romans chapter 6. So we know that all of our sins, and I mean all of our past, present, and future sins, have been dealt with at Calvary. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> but when it comes to our conduct, service, like street work, for example, like trying to get people saved, we'll be judged by the Lord Jesus Christ at the judgment seat of Christ. And some of us will have crowns. The maximum will be five. Some of us will have no crowns. And some may also forfeit their millennial inheritance. Wherefore doth a liver man complain? A man for the punishment of his sins. So that criminal family in London that I knew of <coughs> had two sons, like I say, and a daughter. And one of the sons was following the steps of his criminal father, was arrested on one occasion, put before a court, and he was arrested for burglary, like his father. We call these petty crimes. And he said to his uh, solicitor slash barrister, uh, can I offer up to the court, or can I confess to the court, uh, to being guilty of committing 136 other offences? In the UK, you can do a uh, plea deal. If you plead guilty to uh, a certain amount of crimes, the court will take it into consideration. <coughs> and this guy had the audacity no doubt after discussing this with his defense team, that if he offered himself as being guilty uh, for stealing or breaking many laws, 136 offenses, including the one that he'd just been arrested for, that the court would take mercy on him, would show him clemency. Incredibly, they did just that. Didn't give him a, cust a custodial sentence of maybe two to five years, which he should have got. He got a 12-month suspended sentence. But he too was complaining. Why am I here? <clears throat> there are many other criminals, many people far worse than myself. I shouldn't be here, almost parroting his father. And that sort of a guy will die, go into the lake of fire, 
But before he does that, he goes into the ground, Luke 16, verses 19 to 31, and he's in torment, he's being tortured, physically and literally, not just spiritually, and a lot of complaining going on, like the rich man in hell, why am I here? I'm very thirsty, Father Abraham, can you send Lazarus to wait on me? Wherefore doth a living man, a person complain, for the here and now, but also at the great white throne judgment, a man for the punishment of his sins. So whether it's Mary, Queen of Scots, whether it's Charles I, whether it's Guy Fawkes, whether it's Walsingham's relative, whether it's these criminals from London, whether it's people in general who die without Christ. And of course, if you're not born again, you are lost. And if you're not born again, you will go to the great white throne judgment and you will be judged incredibly thoroughly. For the saved man or woman, they go via the judgment seat of Christ. But here's the good news. For those of us which are saved, there'll be a day that will come for us where we, where, where we will never see death. A day without dying. Because as far as the scripture is concerned, not only have we been pardoned by Christ's death on our behalf, and when that took place, we were declared innocent, not only not guilty, but innocent. But on top of that, a day is coming when the Lord is going to rapture us, take us out of this fallen world, and we go straight to be with the Lord, far north. That's good news. And yet, of course, the rapture, as it is referred to, the catching away, the great snatch, is also under attack at the moment, along with other uh, important subjects, which I won't touch on this morning. Wherefore, why does a person complain, a man or woman, for the punishment of his sins? So in essence, what Jeremiah is saying is this, you have no right to complain. You are banged to rights, as they say. You have broken every law in the book, as they say. You've broken every commandment of the Lord. And a day is coming when a judgment will take place. If you look at Spain from 2017, over two and a half million Spaniards took to the streets, wanting independence from Madrid. And like the Scots from 2014, I followed that very carefully. I've been following politics for over 20 years now. And I thought, this could go either way. I mean, potentially, there could be civil war in Spain. And those Spaniards, referred to as Catalanians, almost, almost brought Madrid to its knees. And again, to cut a long story short, it was put down. But the leader of the Catalan government wanted to not only break free from Madrid, like the SNP in Scotland wanted to break free from London, but like Sturgeon in Scotland and the leader of the Catalan government in Barcelona didn't want to break free from Brussels. Again, so bizarre, isn't it? Why not go all the way? They say that Barcelona is a very wealthy part of Spain. They say that Barcelona is the envy of the rest of Spain. And it's my belief that Barcelona could easily survive without Madrid and Brussels. I'm not sure Scotland could survive without London's help. I guess if they have a second referendum, we will soon find out, won't we? But going back to the SNP in Scotland, not really wanting freedom in the sense of what you find in the scripture, how you are free indeed, 
you are set free from captivity you have the perfect peace which passes all understanding and therefore the government in Barcelona the Catalanian uh, government in Barcelona like the government in Scotland wanted to switch buses they wanted to go from getting London off their backs getting Madrid off their backs and then clinging closer to Brussels and I guess the leaders in uh, Barcelona like uh, Scotland are also Europhiles but here's the irony of it all whereas the Spaniards voted to leave Madrid voted to break away from Madrid and with the Scottish losing their referendum to break away from London the leader in Barcelona had to flee and he went to Belgium which of course is the heart of Brussels and he thought very naively that Brussels would come to his aid and Sturgeon around that time wanted to come to the aid of the Catalanian government some of their members are still in prison today and the leader in question Charles I forget his surname uh, was hung out to dry Brussels didn't come to his aid and Brussels clipped the wings of Sturgeon and said to her that if you interfere in Spanish affairs that will go against your desire to rejoin the EU after Brexit wherefore doth a living man complain a punishment for their sins or receiving the punishment for their sins so whether it's Scotland wanting to break free of English rule or whether it's the Spaniards the Barcelonians wanting to break free from Madrid rule and hook up with Brussels and I'm going to suggest this that both are pictures of treachery go the whole way standing around two feet my Scottish friends break free from England if you want break free from England London rule if you want have your own currency have your own head of state stand on your own two feet and break away from Brussels don't allow those Europeans to tell you what to do how are you any better off you go from one set of masters in London to another set in Strasbourg and my friends in Barcelona break away from Madrid if you want to but break away from Brussels as well at your very lowest my friends in Barcelona you wanted help from Brussels and it never came that's how much they think of you but these verses like I say or this particular verse from the book of Lamentations has a twofold application judgment for sins here and now judgment for sins here and after and however you want to look at it you can't avoid it you can't get around it we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God you must be born again and yet people continue to justify their actions and like I said at the beginning of this message we had a good outreach in October we had two outreaches in fact in the south of England spoke to some very colorful characters Patrick spoke to an elderly gentleman an ex-catholic turned atheist who thought that Muhammad was Jesus Christ and Patrick had to put him straight another member of our group spoke to a very angry man who didn't think that Jesus Christ was God Almighty a bit like these Trinity deniers and I had a conversation uh, with a Catholic MA a lady who's got a degree she told me in theology and this very 
bright Catholic woman, I guess, couldn't define for me, would you believe, what grace is. She couldn't define it for me. And I had quite a long conversation with her. And again, to cut a long story short, I said, your church is loaded with contradictions. The accounts of Trent says I am accursed because I am born again, because I have trusted in the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ to save me. I'm trusting in nothing outside of the blood of Christ. Trent puts a curse on that. 39 curses, like I say. She wasn't aware of that, or so she said. And yet she said to me, but I've read the documents from the Second Vatican Council. And I said to her, but have you looked at the Council of Trent? Because Vatican II, which took place from 1962 to 1965, never once cancelled Vatican I, the Council of Trent. And at the same time, I said to her, I'm very confused because you've got Trent putting a curse on me and many ex-Catholics like myself, and yet Vatican II, leading up uh, to the 1994 Catechism, says that Jews and Muslims and atheists and pagans can go to heaven without faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I said to her somewhat sarcastically, can you explain this to me? Because you are a very intelligent woman, you told me several times how you have an MA, a Master of Arts in Theology. She couldn't explain it to me. She was dumbfounded, as they say. But that's what it's all about. Speaking to people on the streets, trying to get people saved. But that particular woman, if she doesn't repent, will find herself at a great white throne judgment. She'll be complaining, no doubt, why am I here? I'm a baptized Catholic, she will no doubt say. I've tried to obey my church, she will no doubt say. And the Lord will say to her, but I told you to be born again. I told you how all of your righteousnesses is as filthy rags. I told you that salvation was the gift of God, not a works lest any man should boast. And yet in spite of that, you clung to a system which curses faith alone. And she'll be complaining, murmuring, like the unbelieving Jews would do with Jesus and also Moses. And incidentally, please join me this coming Sunday when I look at the book of Exodus, chapter 17. The uh, Jews in the Old Testament, unbelieving Jews, would murmur, would complain against Moses, and they would murmur, they would complain against the Messiah. Wherefore doth a living man complain? A man for the punishments of his sins. So idolatry is obviously the, ser the most uh, serious sin in Scripture, and Catholics are especially guilty of idolatry. Mary, Queen of Scots, will have to give an account of herself to the Lord at the great white throne judgment. She had the opportunity to speak to many leading Protestants during her day. She had a lot of contact with John Knox as well. But she said, no, I'm a Catholic. I would die a Catholic, and she did, as far as we know. And like I say, once her head was removed, thanks to a sharp blade, her head would roll several yards, several feet from her body. Still talking maybe reciting the rosary, I don't know. But all of these people have got a lot to answer for, like the ex-Catholic who thought he had something to be unhappy about and he was very critical of Israel 
and her struggle with the uh, Amalites, and I'll discuss that this coming Sunday, and he too will die, because the Word of God says how it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this comes the judgment, and all these people are going to die, 10 out of 10 people will die, and if they're not saved, and of course most aren't, they're going to face the judgment, and the Lord will say to these people, why weren't you saved? Why did you remain in a state of unbelief? Why were you trying to overthrow leaders, going back to Henry VIII and beyond? Those leaders allowed you freedom of religion, especially Oliver Cromwell, and yet on the Catholic continent, during the 16th, 17th, 18th, even up until the 19th century, there was no freedom of conscience. If you were a Protestant in Italy or Spain or France, especially in Spain. You couldn't be a Protestant. And if you were a Protestant, you were a Protestant in secret. The Dominicans, the Jesuits, came via Spain, of course. And those bloodthirsty gangsters were sent from Rome, orders of the papacy, to put down the Protestant Reformation. They were brutal. Look at Bloody Mary. Upon the death of King Edward, she would replace him. She killed hundreds Brutal, no mercy, and the Lord will say to Bloody Mary and people like her, Charles I, a traitor, Charles II, another traitor. What were you doing, people? Why were you trying to overthrow kings and queens? Why were you worshipping statues? Mary, the Mass, etc., etc., etc. So before Catholics get all upset with me, and say, yes, but Protestants killed X amount of Catholics, the numbers don't even come anywhere near. Protestants have always been killed on a much higher scale than the Catholics, because all of Europe was Catholic up until recent times. And if you lived on the, the, uh, the Catholic continent, like I say, you may have been an Anabaptist or a Huguenot or a non-denominational Christian. If you were found, you were put to death, unlike those who were living around the time of Henry VIII and Elizabeth I, and Oliver Cromwell especially, you could be a Catholic. You could attend Mass, but you couldn't be in government because you had a double allegiance, like the SNP. They're not loyal to the Crown. They are loyal to Brussels and the Catalan government. They're not loyal to Madrid. They are loyal to Brussels. Guy Fawkes, Walsingham's relative, wasn't loyal to the Crown, being Elizabeth I, he was loyal, along with Guy Fawkes, to Rome. Isn't that incredible? He had a foreign head of power, a foreign head of state, being the papacy, who he was in submission to, who they were in submission to, and for today you've got the Scottish government, losing Barcelona, wanting to be aligned with a foreign power. It's absolutely incredible. And I'll say it again, it is treacherous. Surely it's treacherous. If you are an Englishman, you should pray for your leaders. It comes down to God and country. If you are a Scot, you should pray for your government and be in, in submission to your government. And the same would be true in Spain. But if you really want to be consistent, okay, fine, I'll stand with you then. Break free from London, if you are a Scot. Break free from Brussels. But you won't do it, will you? Break free from Madrid, break free from Brussels. But you won't do it, will you? Look at Sinn Féin IRA. They wanted to kick out the Brits from Northern Ireland, 
for three or four decades. And the idea was quite simply this, to get the English out, have a united island, a united Catholic island with the Pope as their boss, coming under the political orders of Strasbourg, the EU. And again, they too are guilty of treachery, I would suggest. I'd have much more respect for the people of Northern Ireland, Scotland, and also Barcelona, if they went the whole way and said, we want freedom from London, freedom from Madrid, and also freedom from the, uh, the papacy, and also Strasbourg. I'll tell you something else. The Catholic Church wanted to reclaim England, especially for her own. They wanted to kick out Henry, uh, Elizabeth, and Cromwell, and many Catholics that were living around that time, didn't want to be under Rome either. They couldn't handle it, like the Islamists that are now jumping ship, trying to get out of this ISIS death cult. They can't live it. They can't live by the Sharia law. It's too strict for them. And many Catholics couldn't live by the rules of the Catholic Church. And that's why the Dominicans and the Jesuits, under the order of the Inquisition via Rome, were so brutal. When those guys got to work on you, believe it or not, the first people that they attempted to track down and kill were fellow Catholics. Then it was Protestants, like the Islamists in Syria and parts of Iraq. Their first uh, uh, group of people they want to hunt down and kill are fellow Muslims. So allow me to say this and I will close. What you've had this morning is a double application dealing with sins for the here and the now. Criminal family in London were found guilty, started to argue. Some were sent to prison, some were not. But eventually they will die and face the Lord at the, the uh, great white throne judgment when they really have their day in court, as it were. All of the Catholic terrorists going back over the decades were guilty of treachery. Some were executed like Guy Fawkes, others were spared. Some were shown clemency, uh, especially on the orders of Oliver Cromwell, and yet go to Rome, go to Italy, go to Spain, go to France. No clemency shown for the Anabaptists. They were killed in their thousands and also the Huguenots. All of these people, all of these politicians, are really not wanting freedom in the sense as we know it, as Bible believers, but they are simply wanting to switch leaders, bosses, governments. They want to go from one set of leaders to another, and for a good number of those people, they want to go back under the papacy, under the yoke of Romanism. And the moment you do that, uh, there's no way out of it, because you can't live it. It's a false works faith system. So, on that note, praise the Lord. Uh, let's give thanks that we are saved, for those of us which are born again. A day is coming when we will never die. We will be raptured, removed from this earth, go far north, hit the judgment seats, the crowns will be given or not. We will be given the keys to our mansions or not. But as far as our salvation is concerned, it's a done deal. The Lord will say, it is finished. Father, into thy hands I commit commend my spirit. You can't beat that. You can't match it. Only Bible-believing Christians are able to really rejoice and worship in that. So please join me this coming Sunday at 11 a.m. UK time as I get ready to continue to work through the book of Exodus. So may the Lord bless you all in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.